I reckon the energy comes actually not necessarily from your physical situation when it comes to work. It's how curious you are and how much your mind is engaged, really. So I think it's sort of more one is energised. You think of that as a physical thing, but it's actually, I think, comes from a mental disposition towards work and to and to what it is. And I'm curious about things and I've loved the kind of interrogation process that you can undertake when you're a journalist. You are listening to Your Brilliant Career. I'm your host, Gillian Fox, executive coach, women's career expert, and entrepreneur. The podcast that teaches you how to get the most out of your career. We talk tactics, tools, and stories that all help incredible women like you achieve the success you deserve. If you want to learn more about how to create the brilliant career you've always wanted, I encourage you to check out the RISE program. It's my four-month career development program. Through a combination of individual executive coaching sessions and group workshops, you'll discover how to overcome obstacles, create opportunities and reach new heights in your career. How many media professionals can you name with a stellar career in journalism that has spanned almost five decades? Renowned journalist and editor Helen Trinker is my guest today and I'm thrilled that she has agreed to join us. I interviewed Helen all the way back in 2016 for my book, Woman of Influence, and I loved that conversation. You can DM me on Instagram if you would like a copy of that, Gillian Fox Group. When I launched my book, Helen kindly agreed to join a panel discussion with three or four other women from the book. To say that she stole the show would be an understatement. Both the audience and the panellists, oh my goodness, they were captivated. Helen has a natural ability to engage and entertain, combined with her sense of confidence and intelligent approach to every topic. She was such a standout. It felt like I had source paid talent for the event. So as many of you would know, uh, Helen is a highly regarded veteran of Australian newsrooms. She has been the Australian's European correspondent, editor of The Weekend, Australian magazine, managing editor of The Australian, and more recently editor of its business magazine, The Deal, which is fantastic, by the way. So over those five decades, she's worked here, she's worked overseas, finding the kind of lasting satisfaction in her work life that few achieve. Helen has also authored three non-fiction books, including Waterfront, Better Than Sex and Madeline. She even won the 2014 Prime Minister's Literary Award for non-fiction. Today, we get to talk with Helen about her career and women in the workplace. You'll hear how passionate she is about access to childcare. And she also shares how she's able to access this tremendous energy that she brings to her own career. It's a super conversation. So let's dive in. Helen, it is a pleasure to have you here today and a wonderful opportunity to interview you yet again. Such a treat. Yeah, pleasure (laughs) for me as well. Thank you. Perhaps you could give us a little bit of a snapshot of your career journey to date. Well, I started in journalism um, about almost more than 50 years ago, which is extraordinary, really. But um, that's what I've done all the time, been a journalist in various um, various roles, various papers, um, and it's been a wonderful career, uh, actually. But it's I started as a cadet. I just kept on working. And um, it's, a, it's a very 
interesting um, field actually because you find yourself um, it's such a small field in some ways that you got jobs you know because they could see your work you know I didn't have to do lots of interviews for jobs I didn't have to really chase jobs particularly and I'm just delighted now that I'm still working working four days a week now not um, full-time it's not so pressurized you know and that's great and that's allowed me to stay in the field for quite a long time really yeah it's it's amazing I have such admiration for journalists Helen, I've never told you that before, but I see journalism as such a creative craft is exceptional and five decades. Wow. It's been enjoyable. I mean, it's stressful at times. And I guess I was a lot more stressed when I was younger, but these days it's really good. It's it's an interesting thing that the longer you stay in a job doing it, actually, the better you get at it and the easier it gets in some ways and the more confident you become. So it's uh, that's if there's one message to, you know, if you are interested in, in a career, you can um, really bet on the fact that you're going to get better at it if you, you know, if you practice a, practice a craft for longer, you're likely to become better at it. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm sure you've seen that newsroom evolve in the most extraordinary way over that period of time from a technological point of view and a craft point of view. Yes, and indeed. I mean, it's been extraordinary. And, of course, the last three years when we've been home, working remotely, which was a thing that was unheard of for journalism. Everyone thought we must be all together. We must be in the newsroom. We couldn't possibly create a paper with um, people, you know, working from their bedrooms and their kitchens. But when we had to, we did. And um, and it's been good. And, and many of us, of course, have really thrived working remotely. I've found that I get a lot of work done. And um, I do go into the office occasionally, but not really on a regular basis. Look, as time goes on, I think there'll be a requirement from employers to spend more time in the office and to really specify which days you're going to be in and to make it a more routinized operation. Um, and I'm not against it. I think I can understand that from an employer point of view, that's necessary. From an employee point of view, I think if you're motivated and you're good at working by yourself and from home, you know, there's nothing better in some ways. It's pretty amazing how much work you can get done if you're not interrupted by other, you know, problems. You know, they're not problems, but I mean, there are other interactions with people. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yes, in terms of difference here, yeah, I mean, the difference from the old days of print and, you know, a composing room downstairs with help metal, all that sort of thing to lead to a computerised setting and now to sort of digital production. And I, you, you think perhaps you'll never learn it, but the last couple of years I've actually learned a lot about the production and that's amazing. You know, it is just amazing. I still love that whole process of every day a newspaper is put out and, you know, it's, it's kind of a minor miracle. So coming from the media industry, which has traditionally had a history of being male dominated, like I'm sure the newsroom earlier on in your career had a lot of blokes in it, Helen. Yeah, even now, yeah. Well, do, well, I don't know what it's like now. So I it's much like more. It, they're far more. It's far more feminized. They're far more women now. Yes, I mean, but there are still quite a lot of men. Um, but yeah, we. I, I haven't done the numbers recently, but it's probably it probably is more half and half these days. Yeah. Okay. But in that earlier period where it was more male dominated, like how did you navigate? some of those challenges. Yeah. I think what's interesting about someone of my age, when you really grew up in an era where you did sort of cede authority to men very easily, you know, I ceded, ceded authority to the men in your family and then we went to work and in some ways you didn't question the fact that, that the men were in charge. So it became a, um, a slow kind of recognition on my part probably over a, over a period of years to sort of understand that even though they were in charge, they weren't necessarily better than us and they weren't necessarily <laughs> jobs than us and they weren't necessarily more decisive or more able. Um, so, look, I, I don't think I've had a really difficult time navigating. I think that I would feel for younger people and other people, they find much more difficulty. I personally haven't had a great deal of difficulty because I haven't really pushed against it terribly. 
it is so much more equal now in terms of attitudes to things. And, you know, I get, I think also as you get older, what you find is that younger men of a younger generation, men in their 40s, I mean, they're, incre- they're very different from the older men that are pro- my colleagues of that time. They're much more, I think, respectful of women. They're much more immediately understanding that women have got something to contribute. I think, um, you know, if you're thinking of attitudes in the 60s and the, well, the 70s when I started in journalism, it really was even the best intentioned men and the nicest younger men had certain ideas about, you know, patriarchal societies and the whole way that things operated, that they couldn't help but sometimes think that they actually knew more than you did. You know. I think now it's completely different. I do feel that with younger men, they're much more, you know, they really do treat women, I think, prefer, you know, I, I feel that they really treat people equally, you know, they really treat you yeah, which is lovely. Equal. Yeah, truly comes from comes from within. Like I don't think it's even something that the younger men need to remind themselves of. It sort of almost comes automatically, which is wonderful. Yeah, it is wonderful. And I think we're even going to see even better when I look at my son who's 20, Helen. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're so impartial to yeah. racial gender. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's, it's what's great about it is it's sort of just not an issue, whereas, you know, I think over, you know, maybe men of sort of 50 might still have to remind themselves about it, you know, but I think a man of 30 or younger doesn't need, you know, so what, what is the problem, you know, what are you talking about almost? So that's which yeah, is great. It is great. Now, a lot of successful women and men, I'm delighted to say at this stage of the game, put a hold on their careers to start and raise a family. What sort of advice would you give to women who are returning to the workforce after an extended paternal break? Because yeah. it can be hard, that re-entry. Look, I have to be honest because, of course, I, I didn't have um, a family and I've never had to consider that issue. I've never had children um, and it has been an issue for me, so I've just been able to work when I wanted to and as much as I wanted to. I think for young women now trying to negotiate this, I would say kind of take your time out for babies and remember that the working life is a very long one now. You know, you are, I'm 72 and, you know, you're still having some great periods of time and, you know, periods of work. You can take, you know, 10 years out really and go, inverted commas, backwards and come back into the workforce and make a lot of progress. So I think women have often been frightened. Young women are frightened about leaving and thinking they're going to really be discounted. They're never going to get back. I just don't think that's so true anymore. And also, particularly at the moment with a tight labour market, you know, and a search for talent. I think there's a lot of opportunity. So I suppose I'd say don't panic. Don't feel that you have to get it all done simultaneously, you know, the career and the family. You know, keep pushing for the other advice is to keep pushing for as much childcare as you can get, you know, and sort of like really good childcare, inexpensive childcare, available childcare. That's, I think, our biggest problem and the biggest hurdle, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, the pandemic, I think, has been really great for for women just because of the more favourable work conditions. I I think that's great from a re-entry point of view. But do you think, and this is a little bit of a controversial question, do you think organisations are responsible for reskilling or upskilling or re-entry programs for women? Up Up to a point, really, to be honest. I think a lot of it has to be individual. I think I think the idea of people retraining and, and um, uh, staff is good, but it only really works if the company itself is, you know, is so short of labour, so needing to do it that they will do it. You know, tacked on programs that sort of say this is a good thing for women, good thing for the company, this is a social responsibility, it's a civic responsibility. I don't think those sort of programs should work. It's, um, the ones that work the best, I think, is if an employer is really desperate for staff and understands that part of the process is actually creating that that talent and those skills. I've, I've, the other thing that I don't really understand is how much reskilling you can do outside of a job. 
when you're, you know, sort of mid-career, say, and you need to go back in, you know, that where you're going to learn those skills to really, to be, for, to be honest, is in the workplace, you know, is in the job. I mean, the idea, I've never been very keen on people going off and doing lots of certificates outside, you know, I'm going to do a certificate in IT, a certificate in this. You can do it and it can cost you money and you can get the certificate, but I'm just not convinced that, you know, when you front up to a job that you're, that there's a match there between what you may have learned to get that certificate and the job you're actually trying to do. And and look, it's a particular bias of mine, I suppose. I think learning on the on the job, even for knowledge workers, you know, and um, I'm not saying, I mean, obviously have, you know, a basic good, you know, university education, as much education as you can get. But once you're in the workforce, I think the upskilling and the retraining, uh, I think probably the best of it comes from doing the work. I think so too. Look at, look at university. <laughs> Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? You can do HR or marketing, but yeah. until you get into the job and really understand how you bring that to life. And a lot of the yeah. time, it's not even stuff that you learned no, through the no. three or four years that you studied. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So true. So true. So figures are regularly reported in the media, including the Australian, about the lack of women in the executive leadership role. Like we know that it's it's crazy because we've got half of employees in Australia are women, yet we've yeah. only got less than 20% of CEOs, about a third are in management, around the same for boards. So we're underrepresented. There's no doubt about that. What more do you think organisations can be doing to address this gender imbalance? I feel as if organisations are doing a lot already. I mean, the, the big ones, the corporate small business is completely different, obviously. There's so many programs, there's so much motivation, there's so much goodwill. And they are identifying women and giving them positions. You know, uh, you know, they're, they're going out of their way to give give permissions to meet um, targets. So I'm not. I think it might now be a bit of a matter of time. And I think all they can do is, in a way, keep doing what they're doing. You know, keep keep looking for the the women's and the talent. And look, there is there is unconscious bias, I guess. And so you know, and as 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 I said before, I think younger people don't have that so much. So as that all comes through, and there's a sort of a evolution really and I think we'll see more and more women in the top jobs so no I, I can't think of a specific thing that I think that the corporation needs to do other than provide um, I think the parental leave um, the more they can do that the more open they are about that um, the more flexible work they can do once you're in the job and the more they can do to also push for some uh, really good childcare. again is it's those basic issues about being able to um, care for your children one of the big problems, of course, I think, and you'd agree with this, I think, having had a son, um, is getting is um, when they're in school age. You know, that is the biggest problem for parents. Actually, childcare is not such a problem. But your kid leaves school at three o'clock, half past three. That is a truncated day for a parent, unless you've got other sorts of help. And so, that yeah. I don't know. I just wonder if in twenty years there'll be different sorts of approach to the school hours even you know um so yeah. that, what about the 16 weeks of holidays yeah yeah that's got, that, that's got worse in our lifetime hasn't it you know it yeah. used to be used to be shorter and they've added on a couple more yeah that's um I, don't, I really don't know i was a managing editor for a long time at the australian up until a couple of years ago and really to be honest i don't know how women with kids managed and many of them really did i mean they were wonderful and but the amount of work and effort they had to put in and, and, and in those days it wasn't possible really to stay home you could go home and finish off at work at home, but it's uh, it is much better now. But it's a real, real drama. So corporates need to, I suppose, the biggest thing is they need to appreciate and truly understand in their bones 
if they want women to go through the ranks, they really had to cut them a lot of slack at various times, you know, of, of their life cycle. Yeah, yeah. I, Helen, you know, I love that you've put a positive spin on that because I think we're so quick to talk about all the things that aren't working. But I agree with you. I think organisations are working very hard. I think there's a lot of initiatives in, internally that um, are great. And and just that commitment alone is progress. Yeah, it is definitely yeah, progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also think I have two little things that I rant on about. And one is... We see a lot of, in the big organisation, there's a high attrition rate at that level just before executive. So if the women are opting out at that stage, then the pool is smaller and there's less chance of us getting more women up to that next level. I would love the organisations to be more prudent, I suppose, in understanding why they're leaving, like Mm. really why they're leaving and looking at that data and understanding it because I'm sure there's some great lessons to learn. That's right. Um, And the other thing is sponsorship. You know, there's a lot of research that says people sponsor people like us with careers like us. So if you're a bloke, you know, your unconscious bias will lead you to wanting to support and advocate for someone like yourself. So I Mm -hmm. think education and awareness. And I do think companies are, are onto this, uh, but there are still opportunities for us to, to progress. Yes, yeah, so I, I wonder why people do opt out just below, you know, just when they're about to make the big time, so to speak. And I suppose it's a variety of reasons. Sometimes people just don't want that extra pressure and responsibility of the really big jobs, I think, and that would have, be happening for men as well. I mean, there might be a lot of men opting out at that point too because it, it, it's a funnel, isn't it? And you get, you know, narrower and narrower. So I'm not sure, but I suppose the other thing that can happen for women is they then become carers of their parents as well. Some of the research, Helen, says that they are unsatisfied, like they're getting great feedback in their reviews, but they don't have a clear trajectory and they don't have enough role models, female role models in the business. And the role models there perhaps aren't projecting what they want you know it's not reflective of Mm -hmm. how they want their career to evolve so so it is interesting but you know there's more that we can learn there do you think women can do things for themselves to support the gender equality progress yeah I think well a couple of things one is obviously uh, you know a fair amount of (laughs) self-belief which is good and because they are pushing against the tide you know and there's a lot of um conditioning that we've all had you know to not to not feel that we're, you know, good enough. Um, so that's a, that's a big one. I think the other thing they can do is to really do is put their heads down and work really hard as well. I think I think there is, can be a tendency for younger people, maybe younger women, and this is a bit of a generalisation, to feel that they should get there faster, and 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 than they are able to. Um, but and sometimes their expectations are very high, but not necessarily success as a female, but just success, you know. Anyway, so I think I think recognizing that it takes uh, time. I think recognizing the sort of uh, sacrifices at a high corporate job that you make in a big corporate job, whether you're a male or a female, are quite intense, and we're being prepared to do that, working out um, whether whether you're prepared to do that because you know you miss out male or female, you're going to miss out on a fair bit of family life, um, regardless. And I, but I do think the other thing is the the more pressure they can put on um, politicians and governments and society generally to recognise basic things like childcare, just so that that is easier to do. So that even even if you don't aspire to the biggest corporate job, you just want to keep working. That is not 
a nightmare scenario as soon as you have a couple of kids, you know, that it's easier. And some countries do, as you know, some countries make it easier. I mean, I don't know the detail, but, I mean, we know that even in countries like Germany, for example, you know, there's kind of free free school, kindergarten level education, you know, you can get in, you, you know, it's it's understood and expected, regardless, irrespective of whether you're working or not, that your child will go into some sort of program, a free sort of um, childcare program, you know, I know the age of two or three. So like it's a lot more provision. Yeah, we're a world away from that. I did read yesterday and I was quite delighted and it's for entrepreneurs, not the corporate world, but Business Chicks, which is a networking group, you may have heard of it. They do a lot of events and things, but they have opened a shared office working space. This is how I understood it. And you can bring your kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Look, I think it's tricky that, you know, bringing your kids, bringing your dogs to work, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> there are some areas, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an offender, really. I, I find it, I, I used to find it hard to think you could do that and really realistically work, you know, when I see sometimes, that, you know, occasionally a parent would bring their kids in. I mean, it's very disruptive to the parent because the kids really can't cope, you know, with the yes. <laughs> So I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that that's the answer. But I think being able to... Um, to know that your kids are cared for and in a good situation, yeah. if that's what you choose to do, or, you know, and, and also obviously, as I said before, if you opt out and don't do a lot of full-time work for a few years, you know, having the sort of courage and the self-belief to know that you you can jump back in again is really important, I think. I think confidence is really important in this for women at, in, at that stage of their life as well because they lose a lot of it. They, they are suddenly thrust back after children sometimes into a, a real caring role you know, and all of the skills that they've learned and all of the decisiveness they've had and the sort of um, power in a way they've had in a workplace sometimes is kind of, you know, evaporates. So they, and they, they no longer see themselves as irrelevant. You know, it's just about the kids now to some extent child uh, minding and parenting is extremely tedious work you know I mean we there's a lot of tedium involved in that um but it's part of the part of the deal so if you're going to decide to do it you know I guess being able to do that recognize that you can go back and work later is really a big thing but it's kind of a confidence that you can somehow make your life work through the various um phases of yes. life yeah, and it is a big adaptation. I remember, you know, maternity leave was just such a rude shock. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, people used to respect me and listen yeah, to that's me. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> kind of lack of relevance, you know, but um, or, or that is felt. Not, you know, it's a perception of lack of relevance. It's not. It's not the case. Absolutely, and I think for women going back in as well. Uh, a lot happens in the business mm. environment in 12 months. You know, yeah. what I mean? there, a it's lot true. can transpire, uh, but it's it's all doable. And I think to mm. your point, a lot of it is in our head, mm. perhaps imposter syndrome or whatever that we, we bring to it. If you want a boost of inspiration during the week, join us on Instagram. Just head to Gillian Fox Group. This is where I share tips, post stories to motivate you, reveal behind the scenes moments and more. It's a happy place to be. So come and join us. One of the things I admire greatly about you is your energy. The fact that you've done five decades in a pretty intense industry that requires a lot of energy. How do you access and maintain your tremendous energy? Because some days must be 
you know, require some mental toughness. Um, look, I think I'm I'm lucky in one way because I've been pretty healthy. I've been lucky and good health is really a gift as much as anything else in luck. But no, I think, I reckon the energy comes actually not necessarily from your physical um, situation when it comes to work. It's how curious you are and how much your mind is engaged really. So I think it's sort of more, one is energised and you think of that as a physical thing, but it's actually, I think, comes from a mental disposition towards work and to, and to what it is. And I'm curious about things and I've loved the kind of interrogation process that you can undertake when you're a journalist and learning new things all the time and, you know, um, and, and the speed of it and the immediate sort of gratification when you see your story in the paper or you see a paper produced. I think energy and, and interest in, in work is important. Look, not everyone, not everyone's kind of born to work, but, you know, I felt, feel in some ways that I've always, see, I've always really enjoyed the process of work. Actually, working has never been a problem for me. And I feel sometimes if I'd gone into a different profession, I would have felt the same. Do you know what I mean? It didn't really yeah. matter uh, which job you were doing. And I was just lucky enough to find one that's been, you know, been great. But I think um, I think the energy ends up being mental in some ways. The, the origin of the energy is probably in your head and your approach to, to, to the work and interest in your work rather than any physical you know, exercise that you do or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I remember when I interviewed you all the way back in 2016, you were talking about your mum and you were saying your mum it was it's just such a positive human yeah, being. Yeah, and yeah. I can see that has rubbed off on you too. And actually, mum, my mother died um, three years ago at the age of 94. So it was, you know, she had a good life and she stayed engaged. Look, her physically she deteriorated, but her mental um, health was really, you know, fantastic and her brain was engaged. But she died actually just before COVID, which was actually a blessing because she was in a nursing home by then. But yeah, she, I think she just, she, yeah, it is, sometimes I think you inherit these things, don't you? Sort of approach to to work here. Yeah, she didn't, she never minded a bit of work. Now, any good career comes with challenges. I mean, all the people that we would probably admire have probably had their ups and downs. What sort of advice would you give to women, Helen, who who are going to come up against the inevitable disappointment or failures along yeah. the way? And I'm sure you've got your own war stories that have happened along <laughs> the way too. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, I've got dumped from jobs a couple of times. I didn't lose my job, but I got dumped from a sort of my, my um, level. And one in particular, uh, you know, about, uh, I don't know, 10 or 11, 12 years ago maybe now, was um, felt very hard to take at the time. And yet... It's amazing and you feel battered initially, you know, and I think that what how I got through that was to say, well, I'm not going to show anyone that I feel battered, you know, I'm just going to do the new job. It's a good job. I'm very lucky. I'll move on to that and um, sort of try to do it with a bit of dignity and grace and that helped a lot actually and I think just kept to keep on going was was been good for me. Um, and I later moved into a job, you know, as managing editor. I liked parts of it. I, you know, I, I didn't like other parts, and but I sort of, I knew that if I kept going with that, that was that was good to have a job like that at that stage of my life, because um, you know I could have been made redundant many moons earlier. You know, a lot of journalists were being made redundant, losing their jobs. It sounds a bit sort of basic, but in some ways, I think suck it up, you know, and and move on. If you, unless you've got to go and find another job, which then you need a completely different set of skills. But if you do, if you are, you know, if you are uh, marked down or you lose the promotion or something like that, at some point, I, I think again that long term view is good because eventually, you know, for most of us, it, things change, and particularly now, workplaces change quickly. The boss that didn't like you goes. And then yeah. you know, potentially <laughs> you're in favour again. You know, all those sorts of things can happen. So, yeah, I kind of think um, 
a long-term view, but also, I suppose, to, to be honest, is sort of recognising, I think, at times when I did lose jobs, my boss, my bosses weren't completely wrong in their decisions. You know, I learned from that. I could see where I wasn't doing it properly or I wasn't the right person for that job. It's not so much you're not doing it properly. You know, you're trying hard, you're doing, you're efficient enough, but it's not really your spot. And I think understanding that and then trying to find, making sure that the next time you go into a job that it is more your spot, um, I think that can, it can be a real learning process. Retrospect is a beautiful thing, right? You know, once you kind of get out of that emotional turmoil. <laughs> Helen, if you could change just one thing in the corporate, just in Australia, corporate Australia, that would support the progressive women, what do you think it would be? Look, I think it's, I've already touched on it, really, I do think it's probably childcare, yeah. you know, that specific sensible thing. Look, years ago, I didn't believe it, you know, because I didn't have children, I didn't actually know the struggle of it all. And um, I saw lots of people just leave completely, you know, in the 70s and never come back to the profession, you know. I saw others, you know, struggle on and, you know, it's, it's, it, even that has evolved. But I do think if you had, if we had better childcare, more available, easier to access, cheaper, all those things, they, uh, that would be a very good thing. And, you know, years ago, we were arguing that it should be the responsibility of um, the corporations. You know, they were meant to build their, the creche downstairs. They were meant to do that. That was meant to be their job. They managed somehow to flick it, pass it on to government to do and make it government's responsibility to subsidise childcare. And that's fair enough, but that's what, what needs... I think we just need more of it, you know. Maybe corporates should think about whether or not they actually should be providing more childcare themselves. I don't know. That would be a turnaround for them because they have not done that in the past, really. It's yeah, it'd be great to see one corporate give it a go. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, really give it a good go. Yeah, maybe that's what has to happen more. I mean, I know that the whole childcare thing is there are a lot of corporations or, you know, companies that own childcare centres. I understand that. But the subsidy is basically coming to the parents via, um, you know, from government to the to parents. And um, other than that, I, I do think we've kind of really made, we made the leap from corporations not recognising the need to, to a system promote women to really recognising. So I think a maintenance of that is is the only thing that's needed. And, but I think that will happen because of the pressure of women coming through for it to happen as well. Yeah. Helen, I have to ask you this final question. And it's to do with your wonderful book, Better Than Sex, how a whole generation got hooked on work. Yeah. Are we still hooked? Actually, I don't know that we are. It's an interesting one, that one, because I wrote that book. Uh, Catherine Fox and I, my colleague, uh, wrote that book and it was Catherine's wonderful. I'm, I'm, you're such a duo, I tell you. I want to give her a great credit <laughs> for that. Uh, so that was in 2004, which is nearly 20 years ago, unbelievably. And look, we I, I don't think we are. I think you're seeing now and COVID sort of tip people over the edge and the pandemic and working from home and hybrid work. And look, absolutely, I think a new generation is saying, let's get a better balance. I'm not so I'm not going to get all my goodies from work. Um, I'm not going to work for the man all the time. I'm going to resign and try and get a better job somewhere. I'm going to sort of pick up the kids after school and then go back and work. So I think it is different. But, look, I think um, to your earlier point, it's still incredibly important, isn't it? I mean, for a full, you know, rich life, work, whether it's paid or unpaid, to be honest, but, you know, paid work, obviously, is what we're talking about, is incredibly important. It's, it's central, really. If this episode or the show in general has helped you or supported you in any way, I would so appreciate it if you would write us a short review. It really does help the show climb the ratings and expose the show to other women wanting to progress their careers. Just a few words or sentences, hopefully favourable, on what you enjoyed about the podcast. 
Thank you so much. Helen, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for your insights and your stories and your energy. It's just been wonderful. Thank you, Gillian. That's great. Lovely. so much for listening to today's episode. I would love to give you something for free to help you with your career right now. If you look in the show description, there's a link there to my free 16 page guide on how to make your value visible at work. In this guide, I share three strategies to amplify your accomplishments at work and some practical ways to boost self-confidence. The insights and the tips in this guide are the same I share with my one-on-one coaching clients inside the RISE program. If you would like to access this guide, click in the link in the description or go to yourbrilliantcareer.com.au forward slash free dash guide. See you soon.